Hi, my name is Yasmin Terehi. I recently completed my two-month transformational leadership program and the results were powerful. If you want to live an exciting life and fulfill your highest potential in 2023 and beyond, I have an incredible opportunity for only a few more individuals to join the next cohort. I will personally be coaching a small group on how to discover and clear your limiting beliefs, how to manage your energy instead of your time, how to tap into the power of your intuition, and how to use discernment so that you can start living a life full of ease, abundance, and flow. As someone who has helped countless entrepreneurs and CEOs open doors of possibility they never thought existed, I can tell you that this strategy will completely transform your life. Best part, you'll 10X your output and unlock your creative genius. I'll work with you weekly to overcome your limiting beliefs and transform that into a new self-concept. I'll teach you how to create clarity, systems and processes, and I'll also help you develop your intuition. You'll get access to some of the best material that will also help you manage your energy, and you'll get access to guided meditations that are not available anywhere else. This method is so effective. If you'd like to join the waitlist, you can find the link in the show notes or navigate to www.yasmintarehi.com backslash gateways hyphen to hyphen awakening backslash. Hi, my name is Yasmin Terehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. On today's episode, I speak with Sky Nelson Isaacs, who's a physics educator, speaker, author, and musician. He has a master's degree in physics from San Francisco State University with a thesis in string theory and a BS in physics from Berkeley. Uh, Nelson Isaacs has dedicated his life to finding his own sense of purpose. Um, He began as a student of the yogic master Sri Swami Satchananda when he was less than five years old. I want to hear all about that. And now his writing on topics like flow comes from integrating this experience into his life. He talks about the intersection connection of synchronicity, physics, and real life using research and original ideas. And I'm so excited to welcome Sky to the show. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Yasmin. It's great to be here. And I'm grateful that your show is here and glad to be on it. Oh, thank you so much, Sky. So to kick it off, Sky, I'd love to understand what does the word synchronicity mean? Synchronicity is a word that I believe was originally coined by Austrian psychotherapist, uh, psychologist, Carl Jung. And Jung was um, uh, investigating the experiences of coincidence that seemed to be meaningful in his patients and his own life. So making connections between the dots of our lives. If you think of each event in your life as a dot on a map, and is there some connection between those dots? And he used that word, I think, because it it's about timing. Synchronicity is about good timing. So sin means together or with. Crone is a, a notion of time from the Greek word chronos, which is like the linear time, the ticking of the clock. And ICT is a uh, study of something. So synchronicity is the study of good timing or fa- things falling together in time. And one, one ironic point is that the, Greek, the other Greek notion of time is called kairos. And synchronicity is really about kairos, the opportune 
moments that are not linear. So that's uh, funny that he would use the word chronos in there, but. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for that definition. And I am very curious why you say that synchronicity is neutral because I sort of, you know, have made the assumption that synchronicity is a positive uh, event in, in life. You know, when I'm at the right place at the right time, I meet the right people. Why do you say that synchronicity is neutral? Well, this is something that I really got me thinking early in my life that, you know, serendipity is this notion of, to me, like positive events that make you smile or make your life good. But there's something more profound, you know, studying with Swami Satchidananda growing up and learning about karma from the ancient Vedanta traditions um, in India, there's a notion of, of cause and effect that's like meaningful cause and effect, like things that are not directly caused by, by something you've done, but that are meaningful to you. And that's a much broader notion than just like a positive life is good kind of thing. And, and there's so much I know, I've noticed in, in watching the New Age movement happen in the U.S. that there's a lot of positive thinking, but people often, and myself, feel frustrated by like, life is actually quite difficult, you know? It's not as easy as just this or that prescription. So I think there's an underlying journey that we're all on. And that journey is supported by the experiences of synchronicity that we have. And if we can start to understand everything that happens as part of a journey of synchronicity, like a story of our lives, not trying to decide whether it's good or bad, but how does it fit into something bigger happening and unfolding in our lives? I think that's a really powerful stance to take. Mm, got it. So you're really looking for you know, the meaning behind the synchronistic events. And I'm curious, you know, why does synchronicity happen? I'd love for you to explain it to us from your point of view as a physicist, maybe using some terms in, um, in quantum mechanics. Well, there's two terms that I, I think I coined that are somewhat, um, one is rel uh, retroactive event determination. And this notion is, is also known in physics in, in the microscopic world as um, uh, the delayed choice phenomenon. What, it, what it's really pointing to in quantum physics is that there's no objective physical world that's definitely existing out there around us. It's uh, only what exists is what we measure. And this has been shown in various very conclusive ways for electrons and neutrons and particles like that in what's called the, the Bell's inequality experiments and, and various other experiments. It's not, not debated that the world is really a, a result of our observations. And prior to observations, all that exists is the potentiality for different results. So what I, what I try and show is that this is also applies to macroscopic situations as well, which is very controversial, but I think it's uh, sort of self-evident when you really look at the information. And uh, what I call that is retroactive event determination, where the events in your life that you haven't observed are not determined yet. Hmm. You know, the world around you, if you're not looking at it, it doesn't exist, or it, it exists in many potentialities. And it's only when you observe something that that thing takes a definite form, a different um, st status. And not only that, but everything that led that that person to be there with you or that 
um, situation to unfold for you. Everything that led to that also becomes true retroactively. So the past is not a fixed reality, but something that's morphing and unfolding as we make observations in the present. Wow. Sky, I want to just pause there because um, I'm so fascinated by this. I've been spending a lot of time reading Neville Goddard and a lot of books on law of assumption and uh, self-concept. And I'm I'm really curious. So from your perspective, um, our thoughts and the way that we're perceiving the world, the stories that we're telling both about our past and what we believe we you know, deserve are really impacting what's showing up in our life. And so would you agree that so like everyone's version of reality is completely different and like based on their own subjective point of view? Yeah. So the other term that I use is meaningful history selection. And if you think about that potentiality of the world around you as a tree, then you're really just climbing this tree all the time. Your life is like making choices, and those choices are branches on the tree. Now, if you imagine that that tree is an apple tree, and that there's a phenomenon, which is something I believe exists from my own experience and from looking at the situations I've seen, that what we believe and feel uh, is something that we imagine in the future. We have a genuine, if we have a genuine urgent need that that um, puts apples on the tree in the future, right? That the that branches of the tree are above us in time. So there's a sense that we are connected to the, both the present, the past, and the future through our emotional um, imagination, our anticipation of the experiences we're going to have. I think anticipation is a really powerful thing when we believe something's going to happen. We tend to act towards that, and we also tend to uh, put apples on the tree that lead us to those kinds of experiences. When an apple weighs down a branch on a tree, it makes that branch more likely to happen. It gets heavier. And so you can see how this metaphor um, creates a sort of a, a pull from the future towards specific outcomes. But it's all statistical, right? It just increases the chances of something happening. And that something happening might be running into somebody on the street corner, by accident, but it leads you to something in the future that you want to experience. And it's the connection between what a random event in the present and a meaningful event in the future that I would call a synchronicity. That's so cool. Oh my gosh. My mind is just um, blowing. I, so you <laughs> talked about, <laughs> you talked about um, feeling as well in this, in this kind of exercise. Uh, how important is feeling and emotions in this or because uh, there's a lot of different camps out there that say all you need to do is visualize the images of the, the desired, you know, let's say tree with with the branches, and others who say the feeling is more important, others who say feeling and images are both equally important. Curious what you think. Well, I, I think that something that is important to you and what we've talked about is I think that feelings drive our experiences and not only our direct interactions with people, and our reactionariness, but also the synchronicities. So when we believe and feel good about our lives, we, we in, invite in and experience synchronicities that support that. And when we have hidden beliefs, filters in the way that we look at the world, we are likely to not only act in ways that bring about those things, but also uh, have synchronicities, which make life sort of back to karma. It's like life is trying to show us 
who we are, trying to reflect to us who we are. So there's a sense of mirroring that the world is doing through synchronicity, which I think is really valuable. Now, uh, let, me, let me give an example of synchronicity that falls in this camp, okay? So I was um, going through a period of time last year where I was trying to reignite my love for music performing. I've been a musician my whole life. And I decided to um, you know, really take a, an active stance. And I looked online and found this outdoor movie night near me. And uh, I went to the, to the outdoor movie night. It was like a Burning Man movie, kind of like an informal gathering. And it's outdoors because it was sort of COVID time. And, and I brought my guitar because I just, I know that when I show up at those things, I often have invitations to play or chances to play. And I take it proactively. So I bring my equipment so I'm ready, you know. And I decided to just pull up my guitar when people were hanging out ahead of time on the grass, sang a few songs, got a few people singing along. And then the, the host of the, of the movie asked me to, said, you know, get up on stage before the movie starts. And we got a microphone for you. And I was scared to do that because I hadn't, you know, I've got a stage fright sense. And, um, but I also had thought a little bit about what I would play. So I was prepared with some songs. And I also was ready to stand in some courage. So <laughs> I did it. I got up there and uh, I sang for half an hour. And, and actually what, what happened in that time was something pretty special for me, which was getting over my fear of what song should I play. And I just sort of went with whatever song came to my mind. I just played it, whether or not I thought they would like it. And that was a really powerful moment for me in like really falling back in love with music and trusting myself. So it was all synchronicity, right? Because I sort of, I set the stage by looking up that event, but then I went wondering what would happen. Mm. That's beautiful. So you kind of like leave room for, you set the intention, you yeah. tap into the feeling, and then you sort of leave room for matching, you know, I, not matching, what's the right word? A, yeah, a that's space. good. Is that a good word? Okay. Yeah, like matching and, and like the universe is reflecting the choices we make with opportunities to go further. Do you, Sky, believe that we're living in a world in which in which our reality is a mirror to our thoughts and beliefs? A hundred percent, yeah. Now, the part of what I really think I can offer that is not always offered by folks in this field is not everything reflects uh, our thoughts. You know, our thoughts and our feelings, we are powerful beings in ways that we don't understand, but we are not infinitely powerful. And we don't have, you know, our, our life is not necessarily a reflection in a direct way of our choices. So, when something bad happens, it's not because it's trying to teach us that we're, you know, we should have done something differently. I do think that everything in life is unfolding along a journey or a storyline that uh, is meaningful for us. And if we understand the purpose of our lives a little better, you know, not to, not necessarily to have a good time, but to deepen our relationship with ourselves, to our relationships with other people to understand our, you know, the sense of purpose in the world. These things, I think, are always served by the synchronicities that unfold in our lives. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to ask you, <laughs> like, why do you think we're here then? You know, you, you spoke about karma and that being really influential when you were younger. It's so interesting to have this conversation with, with a physicist. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. yeah. Like, why, you know, given everything you know about physics and then everything you kind of learned 
from a karmic perspective growing up, you know, why do you think we're here? Well, I think that there's so much we could say about that. Um, I think what physicists miss usually is physicists think of the universe as made up of four things, matter, energy, space, and time. And there's a fifth thing that's come into the field in the past, I don't know, 70, 100 years called information. Information is actually a, a robust thing, even though it's not physical, not substantial. It's a robust thing that can be measured. And it, information is actually related to entropy, which I think we talked about in, in the lead up to this conversation. Information is the opposite of entropy. When you have an, a decrease in entropy, entropy is like disorder. When you have a decrease in the disorderedness of the world, it's because you have an increase in information, an increase in structure. So the physical world is always evolving towards more and more chaos or entropy. But life has this property of making local systems of organization. You know, your body is constantly um, creating more structure in, in, in its, inside its you know, local um, boundaries to support life. And so I think that this concept of meaning of information is important and can be related to meaningfulness. And when we think about that tree, the apple tree, and the, the apples on some of the branches that correspond to the, um, the imagination that you have about what you're going to experience, you know, what you imagine, those apples, uh, as you move through the tree, you're sort of moving through the information space and hopefully creating meaningful experiences. So I, my experience is that we're here to experience meaningfulness. I think that we can say something about that in physics through the physics of information. And the synchronicity is about how does the world show up in meaningful ways to help us grow, heal, and adapt. Where do you think we go after we die? I mean, do, you know, what do you think happens to our... <laughs> I don't even ask that question. <laughs> you know, there's some questions to me that I think are interesting and I, it's because I think I can actually contribute to them. Like, what is synchronicity? You know, a lot of people don't even try because they don't have uh, a thing of thought that that can be answered. I think we can actually talk about synchronicity from a scientific and mathematical point of view. Mm. Um, and I think there's a real benefit to that. I think we can, I, I've personally benefited hugely from my rediscovery of my passion as a musician to my journey as a, writing my books. My, you know, my books, Finding an Audience was, was synchronicity um, to my relationship with my wife, who I met when I was 13 at a very meaningful moment in my life. Oh, wow. We, we reconnected again in Paris in a story that I tell in my book by accident. You, when we intended to meet in Greece, we met in Paris by accident. And that was when we were uh, 20. And so synchronicity has had a huge impact on my life. And also, I think on it can have a huge impact on politics and on climate change and on the way that we collectively work together on racism and um, these really important uh, societal issues. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I definitely want to uh, talk more about your your thoughts on on that and then also on flow. Uh, but before we move into those, to those areas, I, I'm actually curious, you know, how do you personally ensure that you're making the highest choices or the most maybe meaningful choices day in and day out? 
given what you know? Like, do you have a practice? And I ask that question because I think our audience would be very interested to learn, like, if you, you know, have put any kind of structure or system in place for yourself and how they can use that to adapt, uh, adapt it into their own life. Right. You know, uh, I think one of my weaknesses and strengths is that I'm, I'm, I love focusing and I'm good at focusing. I'm not good at managing a lot of details. So my, <laughs> um, uh, executive functioning skills really rely on flow <laughs> as a, <laughs> as a requirement versus like just a choice. Um, so that's good and bad for me. Um, my wife and I are balanced, so I have some structure in our relationship and that really helps. I, I think, thank her a lot. Um, but I would say that I do have a lot of practices that help me stay in, in flow or in yeah, make use of synchronicity. Um, you know, one of the things I do have been doing this week because of um, what's going on in the world right now is politics and, and volunteering for elections. And um, those are, you know, really punctuated, right? There's an election now and there's an election two years from now. There's uh, a midterm or, you know, different stages along the way where I get more involved. There's times when I'm less involved. Uh, and I find that as in that case or as in anything I'm working on, like a new book or, um, you know, helping my daughter with school, any of these things have stages. So the thing that really helps me is paying attention to what is the stage that's present in my life right now? What is the one or two or three things that I'm really caring about right now that are timely? The synchronicity, as we said, is about uh, falling together in time. And so I think to, to catch it, we have to pay attention to what is timely. A lot of times I want to work on my book, but what I need to work on is volunteering for politics or uh, promoting a workshop so I can uh, get the word out about what we're offering at the Synchronicity Institute. Um, or I want to focus on family, but what I need to do is send an email to my mailing list. Or I want to send an email to the mailing list, but what I need to work on is family, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like being really okay with and enjoying and aware of where is the energy right now. And then as soon as that's done, I can shift into, you know, com I can complete one thing, shift into the next thing, and which is a natural movement to the next thing. In my new writing, I'm really focusing on this notion of completion, um, how we go through a process of um, up-leveling in stages, like punctuated equilibrium, where things change gradually for a while, they reach a climax and things either shift or they don't shift. And then we move to the next stage. Or we, we go back down and have to try again to sort of relearn what we're trying to learn in life. Mm. So, oh, that's so fascinating. Okay, so um, I love that kind of like these, um, like it, it makes, it gives you also a perspective of where you're at on the journey and, and sort of what you need to be paying attention yeah. to. Yeah. And so like with the example earlier of music, um, that was a point in my life where I was really getting outside and playing music more outdoors. And I, I had enough experiences in a row. In fact, I had like five weeks in a row of like the same kind of experience showing up where I showed up at a venue and brought my guitar and was invited to play. By the end of that period of time, I was really comfortable with that. And I had really dropped into like I trust the music I'm playing. I trust myself to do a good job. I trust myself to choose music people like. I'm having fun with it. And I moved forward and like didn't have that issue anymore. 
So it's like that that stage, like moving from one stage to the next. And if you if you make it through the learning process, you can kind of move forward in a new way. So do you sort of follow your desires or you follow, you know, what is it, what is it that you follow within you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that one of the things that's been a learning process for me is really trusting my my desires, trusting my my what feels good, and this is where we come back to feeling. I think it's actually a really important guide. What feels good in life is actually helping us grow. There's of course the tendency to like be worried that we feeling good is just hedonistic. Like you're going to just do what, what's short term gain. And I think that there's, that's not, I don't think that's really true about humans. I think we have a capacity to go for what's pleasurable and fun and joyous, joyous for us and consider what's going to benefit others and benefit our future at this, at the same time. So those are the things that I'm really feeling into, but it's, it comes from feeling into my body more and thinking less about the the strategy. Hmm. I'm sure that makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I love that. Um, Syn- synchronicity often comes at unexpected times. And so it's like being really able and ready to shift gears and say, you know what? I was going to go do the dishes, but my daughter is asking me to help her with homework at this moment. And if I go do the dishes 10 minutes later, she might not need my help with homework. I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to pull myself away from my expectation and be present with what's what I'm being given in the moment. And that's really the gift. So when I pull myself away from what I intended or expected from life and focus on what I'm getting, there's usually some really beautiful gift to receive. Mm, yeah, I love that. I love that. So be present in the moment. <laughs> it's a practice I think all of us need to master. So, uh, Sky, I want to talk a little bit about how flow is linked with synchronicity. I mean, we spoke about that a little bit, but can you maybe define flow state for those listening who may not know the the term and, again, how that's linked with uh, synchronicity? Mihai Csikszentmihalyi was an author who wrote the book on flow and a really wonderful researcher and a nice person. And he he's not the only person to ever talk about this, but... He made it popular in the 80s, I believe. And flow is a sort of a timeless state of concentration that is a connection between the heart and the mind and the body. You're not really analyzing and thinking about what you're doing, but you're fully engaged in it. So you lose track of time. You feel a sense of awe or joy, wonder, um, just presence. And one of the things that Csikszentmihalyi said that really struck me is... Uh, flow is, it's not just about going with the flow, right? So when I said being present a minute ago, I also, as I gave in the example of the, the guitar earlier, like I showed up with my guitar intending to play music. So there's a sense of um, assert- assertiveness that I'm, I'm showing up with an intention and taking action, and I'm being receptive to how that unfolds. That balance between assertiveness and receptivity allows for synchronicity and flow, synchronicities to happen, which allow flow to unfold, a flow experience to unfold. So the synchronicity was that I played guitar in the audience for a few minutes, and then the organizer came and asked me to play on stage. That was a synchronicity. It was an opportunity to do something more. 
And by saying yes to that opportunity, I was able to get into the experience of flow. And what Csikszentmihalyi says is that, let's see if I can get it right. Flow is um, not the experience of avoiding, um, cho choosing um, to, to either um, let go or hold on tight. It's like not choosing between should I take control of the situation or should I let go of and just give up my hands and let the universe unfold. That's sort of a naive way of looking at flow. I got to mm. be more spiritual. I'm going to just let it go to God or something like that. Or I'm going to take charge of this company and you know make things happen. Flow is really about letting go of the worry about being in control. So a kid is in flow on the playground because they're sometimes they're in control, sometimes there are other people being in control, and there's not a sense of anxiety around whether they are in control. And mm. that's what we're aiming for with flow. Not that we should always let go of control and just give up the situation to higher power, but that finding our natural way of interacting with the world, sometimes asserting, sometimes receiving, mm. but not being worried about the process, letting go of dealing with that worry in a healthy way. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, some of the misconceptions people have about flow and whether we can sustain uh, periods of flow? Well, my experience of flow is that it's not simply a personal state that I sort of described a minute ago of like, you know, maybe being in awe or being timeless. I, I've been interested in finding a life of flow. So for me, I would say uh, I'm in flow kind of all the time, not in a super intense, like I'm super, uh, you know, zoned out all the time or blissed out, but <laughs> just in the sense of like being really conscious of what I'm going to do next. Am I going to spend time? Am I going to pull myself away from what I'm working on to go like focus on sending an email? Well, is it, is it important for me to do the email now or is it, I'm, am I doing it out of anxiety? Is it better for me to stay present with what I'm doing or am I staying with what I'm doing because of anxiety? Like what's the what's the purpose behind what I'm choosing? And from that state, I've, grown more and more um, happy about the fact that I have, you know, I have a daughter who's in middle school and I have um, a marriage and I have uh, a, a career and I have um, a house that I'm living in. And we have butterflies in our yard actually right now, which is <laughs> incredible. It's two butterflies made it and they created ca uh, cocoons, caterpillars and cocoons. We have over 35 cocoons in our yard. <laughs> it's wow, incredible amazing. watching them grow. Oh my gosh. Talk about the symbolism of synchronicity. We've just been obsessed. Wow, amazing. So oh. watching these caterpillars turn into chrysalises and then turn into butterflies and fly away. It's been really profound. And so for me, finding joy in all of these things when they're when they're active. Like I can't decide or choose when I'm needed needed in one place or another. Um, I try to find joy in what I'm experiencing in that moment for its own sake. And then I get to go back to the other things I love too at a later time. So, um, Sky, you mentioned, uh, you know, explaining flow state that, you know, you want to be in this flow state all the time. And you also mentioned earlier how it's usually when your heart is in coherence. Can you uh, explain to folks what that means and 
um, and also like how folks who are listening can be in that kind of, you know, heart, heart, mind, coherent state? Well, to me, I have sort of a unique approach, which is that I think of our minds as filters. And this comes back to the notion that you brought up earlier of seeing everyone sees the world in a unique way, um, the sort of sense of karma that's unique to us. And our worlds can be very different. You know, you and I can each read the same news story. And based on our backgrounds and our beliefs, take away totally different meanings and form totally different stories about, you know, what's being sold on the television or what, you know, what's, what's this political thing about or what's going on in the news. And those are our interpretations and stories that we form based upon who we are. And I think that's really important because from those stories, we experience more synchronicities. It's our, our stories and our imagination of how the world is drives the kinds of life experiences that we have. And so I guess we were taking that. So how does that lead to flow? What was the direction we were going with that? <laughs> yeah. I was just, you know, yeah. Curious, like re- really like people who are listening in, I think want to know how they can actually develop these skill sets in their own life. And so that's, yeah. How I Right. Yeah. So, one skill that I teach in my workshops is noticing the filters and naming the filters that you're looking through. Mm. And when you name it, it's kind of like this. You, you say, what's the, what, what's a trigger that's happened to me recently? What's a place where I feel tension in my life? A conversation that I had with somebody that felt uncomfortable or a situation at work or at home where I, you know, I was disappointed or by somebody else. And, first of all, asking if that's something that's happened before. Like usually these things have happened many times. If they're bothering us, it's because they're repeating in our lives. And often throughout our whole childhood, you know, we can find the common thread between our events and say, ah, I'm, I'm actually being a certain way in this situation. I can see my behavior and it's really old behavior that I'm bringing to the, to the situation. That's something I can control. So mm-hmm. having that insight is really great. And the way that I get that insight is by asking, what are the thoughts I'm having in that triggered moment? My head, that might be like, this person doesn't care about me. This person doesn't respect me. Those are thoughts. And then what are the feelings? Those are usually different from the thoughts, right? That's like, I I feel unsafe. I feel um, angry in reaction to the thoughts, but they're actually separate from those thoughts. And so you've got the thoughts and the feelings and then the body sensations. Like, do, am I tense in my shoulders? Am I like not able to feel my belly at all? That's what happens to me a lot. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I get really tight in my gut and I, I don't have access to my whole you know nervous system. So once you have a sense of what the thoughts, feelings, and body sensations are, you then try to name the filter in a really simple way, like not a complicated, heady name, but just like, um, people don't love me. Mm. That's a filter. So for going around and looking at the world through this filter of people don't love me, it's going to really affect the way that we interpret our situations and things people say to us or opportunities, synchronicities that show up in our life are going to be interpreted through that lens we may not see them for what they are. If I went to this music 
movie outdoor showing with my guitar and they invited me to play but said you know uh, somebody said you know do you know any um dave matthews band and i like i don't know any dave matthews band and my story is that you don't want to hear anything but dave matthews because you think uh, my music is lame which is like my old story (laughs) then (laughs) i'm not going to be able to move i'm going to feel like people don't love me and i'm not going to be able to get up there and play so the filters like limit what kind of synchronicities we allow to unfold in our lives the more we can name them and be be pull them away like peel them back the more we can start to move forward with power and strength in the situations that we're actually given so i love that process guy thank you so much for walking us through that i I'm so so curious now about you know these filters these stories that we have like um, do you then shift or do a reframe uh, let's say the story is like I'm not enough or I'm not worthy I feel like those are big ones in uh, in culture right now um you know how do you then tell people to shift their feeling state or emotional state like yeah because and I yeah. ask that question because I think intellectually knowing is really important but then also uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that people are actually um, implementing it, right? Right. And what I think people do a lot is try to just say the opposite story to to have a yeah. positive message for themselves. Like if the message is that I'm telling myself is people don't love me, I tell myself people love me, it doesn't help because I'm just, I don't, I don't actually believe that. What I believe is people don't love me. So what about finding a deeper truth? Something something that you do believe is true, it's even more simple. So I'm going to see if I can feel into what that would be. <sighs> when I feel like people don't love me, ah, I might might be able to reframe it as I don't trust that people love me. I'm not actually arguing with the point that people don't love me. I'm restating it as my, I don't, I don't trust people. People don't, people love me. So then I can say, oh, I'm not trusting. That's something that I can feel into my body. Oh, what does it feel like to not trust that people love me? That's a really different experience than just believing that people don't love me. Wow. That's really profound. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's like $10,000 of therapy uh, in a couple minutes. Um, yeah, because the feeling state then shifts. And I actually want to double click on the the concept of feelings. Um, do feelings actually have meaning? And how how do these feelings tell us about a, a premonition, you know, about how we know whether something is happening in real time from the past or from the future? Especially if you're saying that, you know, everything is kind of happening all at once. Like, you know, th- the concept of time is not... Um, I don't want to say it's not real, but yeah, maybe you could say more about that. Well, um, to, to circle back to one point in the last conversation, um, the, what's powerful for me about reframing that reframe from people don't love me to I don't I have I can't I don't trust that people love me is that people might not love me. That might be true. So we don't want to go around in the world trying to reframe things that are actually true into new things. Our, our psyche doesn't believe that, right? We're going to stay stuck in what we believe to be true, if it, especially if it is true. 
but reframing the trust to a, uh, being a trust story that I can control allows me to open up to people who do love me and not be stuck in a filter of nobody loves me. I don't trust anybody. And that's, I think, a more, for me, a more mature approach where I, I don't believe that the world is just happy to see me all the time and all good and roses. That's the, like the serendipity, right? But it's more like synchronicity, like the situations that are there to serve me will show up in my life if I can let them in when the time is right. Mm. Do you, I mean, is there, do you, is it like a ladder of different beliefs and thoughts? Like after I don't trust, you know, what comes next after that? Yeah, well, that's, there is kind of a ladder or like layers in my experience. And I think under those layers is just more and more authenticity, more and more sense of, uh, for me, trusting what I'm going to say and what I feel and, and enjoying my life more. You know, I, I feel some grief over how many years I've not enjoyed my life because of the tension or the, the stories I've had around different things. And the more that I enjoy it in the present, or the, the, the more I grow, the more I just, uh, I think I'm more effective and more powerful in the world. I don't think there's any like finish finish end, end zone. I just think we keep uh, engaging more and more in the experience of loving connection with other people and with ourselves. Mm, beautiful. Uh, so do you had another question about uh, time and the journey? Exactly. Yeah. Time. And also feelings have meaning and um, how a feeling kind of tells us about whether something is happening in real time from the past or from the future. Cause I think that has been so interesting, you know, when it comes to studying depression, a lot of people who get stuck in these like loops and patterns are just like constantly ruminating something from the past. And it's as if, you know, they're like re-traumatizing themselves over and over and over again. Super curious, you know, how we can tell, you know, what the, what the difference is with how a feeling you know, is just a trigger from the past, if it's happening in real time, or if it's some something about the future. And also, do, do feelings actually have meaning? Mm, great questions. Yeah, I think this is really important. I've dealt with um, different aspects of, um, you know, mental challenges over my lifetime and um, struggled with maintaining a sense of my who I am and feeling good about myself a lot over the years. And I, th I would say, what do I want to say about that? That, you know, this, this notion of being on a timeline, it's where physics, physics comes in, right? Because the work that I'm, that I published shows that time evolves, not as little instance of, of the moment, but as a extended timeline. And as soon as you start to see time as this path as a whole, then you start to notice, okay, if time is existing as a long journey, then there's a storyline to that path, right? There's uh, a place I'm actually going with a plot to it. There's an arc of, of, um, of meaning. And so that, I think, is something that unfolds from the way that we're starting to understand the physics of time. And... There's a notion of timelessness, which is actually present in a lot of indigenous cultures, like the um, the aboriginals uh, have a notion that, that the past and the ancestors are not gone. The present and the past are, are the same. 
And, and it's a very powerful sense of timelessness that, um, that shows up in the physics that we have now today, that the past and the present and the future are all part of this one timeless tree. And so the question I guess you're asking is how do you, how do you relate to that future and that past in a meaningful way? Um, this notion of the multiverse is kind of the physics term, right? There's like a tree and there's many branches to it, many possible universes that we could follow based upon our choices. And we're coming from a past where there, we were on the, the lower parts of the tree and now we've made some choices and now we're here. And by noticing the threads of meaning that you're carrying, like through that filter process, naming the filter, you know, if you have some meaning in your life, if you can name, oh yeah, I have a tendency not to trust that I'm loved by people. Okay, well, then when I get in a conversation with my sister at, at Thanksgiving, and she says something that might be triggering for me, I am also aware that I have this filter that's about me, that's looking through that lens, and that's my past. And it's not necessarily what she intended. And it allows me to pull away from my reaction and have a little bit more space. And I think that spaciousness is really helpful. The more we can understand our patterns and see our filters, the more space we can take from our reactions and our emotions and the feelings, and then allow a different feeling to emerge. It's not that we have to like, create lovingness. I think lovingness or um, peace, uh, and various other feelings just come in when we leave space for them. Or anger, you know, but we have to, we have to pull away from the automatic feelings enough to leave some space. So I think that this process is about the more we can not just keep repeating the same feelings, have some space from those re reactionary memory-based feelings, allow in whatever feelings are wanting to come in, then we can actually experience change. So Sky, can you tell us uh, what attracted you to this space? And, you know, can you tell us, you know, your journey towards becoming a physicist and why that felt like an important uh, career path? Yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, you know, I studied um, a lot of st different things. I, I was immersed in sort of the consciousness, spirituality world as a kid. I played music as a kid. And then in college, uh, I had injuries in my hands and couldn't continue playing music. So I switched gears and studied physics. And that was a synchronicity in itself. <laughs> and I loved physics. I really enjoyed uh, the the culture of physics really spoke to me. And I had read a lot of books. I guess I guess I forgot about that part. Like I read um, The Holographic Universe by Michael Talbot. And um, I read books on like fuzzy logic. And I loved that kind of book as a teenager. And um, so it, it, studying physics was like, I, I read Feynman's book, Surely You Must Be Joking, Mr. Feynman. I just found so much joy in that. I like to play music, but I don't really like to read about it. <laughs> so I like to read about physics. And that was a good clue for me that it was something I wanted to pursue. And in college, I learned about the Fourier transform, which is a mathematical technique used in music, actually, is where I learned about it. It's how you get from a, a, a piece of music into its spectrum or its frequencies. So if you, you, know, you can separate out the oboe from the clarinet or the piano from the voice, or the high frequencies from the low frequencies using the Fourier transform. And I kind of got right away how 
fundamentally amazing it was. It really just blew my mind. And it stayed with me for 30 years. And it's become the foundation for my research in space and time, which is pretty cool. It's like a life path for me, the Fourier transform. <laughs> and you know, what's amazing about it is that I, I recognized early on, although I couldn't name it, that there's something about reductionism that is broken by the Fourier transform. Reductionism is this notion that everything is separate from everything else. You can delineate space by you know your space and my space, and we're not connected in, if we're not touching. There's this, there's this way in which the Fourier transform um, converts spatial signals or shapes into spaceless information. And it's also true for time. You get you get rid of the time measurement of the music when you convert it from its 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 time waveform to its frequencies. Everyone's familiar with changing a graphic equalizer. Okay, when you change a graphic equalizer, you change the high frequencies of the low frequencies. You increase them or you decrease them. What you're changing there is a um, a holistic representation of the music. You're not changing the actual waveform. You're changing its um, its frequency spectrum. Some people are actually familiar with graphic design as well, and this may be easier to visualize. If you take a photograph, a digital photograph, everyone's done Snapchat or Instagram and like applied a filter to it, right? So you can apply a filter like blurring. Well, how do you blur a photograph? You go in with an eraser tool and like rub your mouse over the whole photograph inch by inch? No, you convert it into its spatial frequencies using the Fourier transform. And then you apply a filter sort of metaphorically to the ones that I was talking about in our minds. You, you apply a, a, sh a change to the spectrum all at once. That's the key phrase. You make a change to the spectrum all at once. And when you convert it back to its time-based or its spatial-based representation, the whole picture is blurred. And that's the amazing thing about the Fourier transform. You make one change to the patterns present in an image and you affect the entire image. And that blew my mind and it carried with me to studying physics and quantum mechanics, which also uses the Fourier transform. It makes me think that the world itself is this way, that there's this realm in which we can make changes to the frequency space and affect the entire physical world all at once, independent of separation. I just got chills like listening to this. I'm like, so... It, the images, you know, we all have kind of these like images and pictures in our mind all day long. I mean, I don't know. I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you're saying that if I have, let's say, an image of myself, it could be in the third person or the first person, and I um, change that image of myself, maybe it's a higher version of self, or I, I change the feeling state in these images, then the whole kind of surrounding changes around me. Yeah, that's, a, that's sort of a metaphor that I would use that, um, just as you said, when we change the feeling of a situation, all of the circumstances around it shift. When we change the way we see people in our lives, every interaction can change. So, okay, so are we also, um, is our like kind of experience of reality only um relating to ourselves with the inanimate world or do we have some measure of control over how people respond and react to us based on our projection so 
control is the wrong word. That's really the essence. And this is something that's very challenging to understand for me, but I have an intuition and, and some mathematics around it that are consistent. Um, but it's basically this. We like to think that there's an objective world out there that we're controlling or influencing. And I think the place where a lot of um, metaphysics has gone wrong is that we're somehow sending out signals to influence the unseen world. I don't think that way at all. I think in terms of wholeness, that we're part of a, a universe that is not separate, but holistic. We're all connected and we're experiencing ourselves through other people, right? The other people are reflecting our own self. We're on the journey as uh, of the self, of learning who we are and our connectedness to the world. And what is what takes the place of this objective reality out there is a subjective reality. That what what I experience is, um, like I gave the example of retroactive event determination earlier, mm-hmm. where something will fall into place in the moment to to match, you know, my anticipation or my needs or whatever it is it's synchronicity but that means that whole that person's entire history also falls into place to bring them to me at that moment but i'm not controlling them right and this is where the beauty of flow comes in you and me are mutually supporting each other through our experiences of flow together and what synchronicity for me May or may not be synchronicity for you, but we get to be synchronicities for each other and find that we show up at the right place at the right time to support people. And because the world is not objectively true, uh, you know, in some definite way, there's a lot of flexibility. And that's the essence of this worldview, is that the, the world around us is flexible, including people and, and including inanimate objects. And they don't know that, you know, nobody knows that you or I are like, influencing them because that's not what's happening we're essentially choosing branches of the tree of the multiverse in which those things are true Mm. fascinating that's a better way to say it Mm. yeah lots of lots to unpack and a lot to think about (laughs) i'm just sitting here ruminating um wow well sky i know that we are at time um but Definitely just, you know, have a lot of thinking. I'm sure that for folks listening in, there's just a lot to think about. What do you want to tell our listeners about their health and wellness and well-being? What's your main takeaway? What I get so get so much from synchronicity is a sense of um, being on a journey and purpose to that journey. Uh, it's like, for me, I can pretty quickly see even when things don't go the way I want them to go, I can start to see how they fit into a bigger picture. And I feel ease and comfort from that. By seeing the bigger picture, it allows me to um, make better choices to support that, like to, to, to not be in conflict with what's going wrong and say, okay, how can I redirect this? Or how can I um, hold up a vision for the next thing that I want to unfold? So I think the, the real benefit for health and wellness in uh, your listeners is to be able to see the events of your life as synchronicities through that lens and um, see them as part of a bigger story so that you don't get caught up in the ups and downs or the disappointments, the expectations of every situation and can more quickly adjust 
to seeing what is unfolding positively or for your benefit or for others' benefit and be able to stand for that, to be able to see opportunities to bring joy to other people or to opportunities to feed yourself in nourishment in some new way you've been seeking. So I hope that's helpful. Amazing, amazing. Thank you. And last question, are there any resources that you can point folks to in order in order to learn more about yeah, you? So folks can find out more about the work that I do, the papers I write and the books. I have two books, Living in Flow and Leap to Wholeness. And the Synchronicity Institute is my organization. Synchronicityinstitute.com slash events is where I hold uh, upcoming workshops. And um, I love uh, I love connecting with people. I love serving people and hearing how things are impacting you or getting ideas from you about the way you see synchronicity. So um, whatever your takeaway is, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, for our audience. Thanks for joining and for listening. You can tune in to Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, spirituality.